we are uh, starting a brand new five-week series today called Pearl, and we're excited about it. And uh, Pearl, uh, you can grab a guidebook on your way in. It's a five-week devotional, daily devotional. And if you open it up, you'll notice it's not dated. It doesn't say Monday. It doesn't say Wednesday. It just says day one through day five each week. And so uh, if you want to make today day one, go for it. If you want to make Tuesday day one, go for it. But they're not dated, so you can continue to use these in the future. But my encouragement to you, and we'll talk more about this and unpack this a little more this morning, but um, is to do this each day over the next five weeks. It'll dovetail with our sermon series. And then find somebody also, whether it's in your life group or a friend, someone, to do this with you. Uh, There's enough for everybody to have their own, uh, but do it with someone. Do it with someone. And hey, if you're online, you can get a copy of this digitally if you go to youareloved.church backslash pearl, youareloved.church backslash pearl, or you can email us, office at wawasebible.com, and we'll mail one to you. So just let us know. But hey, with uh, that in mind, I want to tell you about a guy who is all about pearls. Have you heard of David Morris? I think I've, I've shared this story with you in the past, but I'm going to share it again. David is a jeweler out of London, and uh, he loves pearls, and he loves to search the world for pearls. In fact, here's a picture of him. You can see him standing there with uh, some of the pearls that he owns, and he's just given his life to searching for and finding pearls, buying them up. Well, uh, seven years ago, 2014, uh, a fellow jeweler came to David and told him, he said, "Uh, David... There's a couple you've got to meet. You've got to meet them because they have a pearl <laughs> that you, you've got to see. It's a pearl you've got to see. So a meeting was arranged and the couple came to his shop and they uh, put up these two pearl earrings. Well, um, each one was kind of long, had this big pearl hanging from it. And, and David, you've got to know, he, he knows pearls better than maybe anyone else in the world. And so uh, he immediately looked at them and knew one was fake and totally worthless. But the other one left him breathless. And, uh, you know, this couple had these antique earrings, by the way, a little backstory. They had them without any knowledge of their worth. In fact, they were cleaning out uh, some of their storage in their home and found them and decided, oh, maybe we should get these appraised. And so they did. And they appraised uh, for $140,000. Well, the one of them did. The other one was worthless. Make you want to go search your attic when you get home today? See if you got anything in there? Well, uh, so David Morris is staring at this pearl. And they're like, uh, hey, you should know. So we're talking, this pearl is worth $140,000. He replied, is that so? Uh, well, then do you mind if I take it back and look at it with, you know, my microscope and some other tools and just uh, get a good look at it for myself? And they said, no, go ahead. They agreed. Well, he was, there, he was gone for a little while, and when he came back, he, he said to them, um, I'd like to buy your pearl. And they said, well, I, I don't know what to think about it. I mean, I don't know if we're really in the selling market for it, and um, we might just wait. And He goes, no, you don't understand. Um, I'm prepared to offer you today 10 times its appraised value, $1.4 million. So uh, they thought about it, prayed about it for a second, sold, (laughs) sold, right? Like they're just like, okay, it's yours, it's all yours. Can you imagine? 
Well, it turned out that this pearl, and I don't know if it still is today or not, I couldn't find that information, but at the time at least, was the largest spherical freshwater natural pearl known to exist in the world. And it had been sitting in someone's attic or closet for years. It was the pearl of David's dreams. He couldn't believe what he had seen, and he was willing to give up anything to make this thing his own. He knew the value of what he was looking at. Does that sound familiar? You know, Jesus told uh, parables often uh, to teach us about the kingdom, to teach us about what our way of life ought to be as part of his family. And one particular story, one of these parables, is very eerily similar to David Morris's story. Check this out. Uh, Again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Like David Morris, searching for pearls. Who, when David found one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, I think this parable, when Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom, tells us a lot about the priority of evangelism. And our series, Pearl, is really a series on evangelism. Do you know what evangelism is? Uh, evangelism, uh, at its core, I'm just, I'll, just, I'll give you this off the top, is, is about uh, telling other people about Jesus, helping them find Jesus. But oftentimes, as, as Christians, for those of you who have trusted Christ, uh, we hear evangelism and we might think something, I don't know, something kind of churns in us. Oh, really? We're going to talk about that for five weeks? We are. What feelings come up when you hear the word evangelism? Maybe you're not a believer yet, and you hear that word, and it causes you to cringe a little bit. Like, yeah, I've, I've had people come to me doing evangelism, and I was just kind of their project. I mean, if you're a Christian, though, does it bring up fear? Does it bring up frustration? Does it bring up uh, maybe a little bit of dread? If, I, if I'm honest with you, if you can see my heart, it, it does that for me. It brings up some dread at times. And if that concerns you, don't worry, it concerns me too, that I dread it at times. Maybe it's the terminology we use. I mean, there are a lot of isms floating around these days, right? I mean, let me give you a few, maybe you've heard recently, materialism, relativism, narcissism, moralism, workaholism, sexism, racism, atheism, and all the other isms. Josh, why do we need another ism? We got enough, don't we? Well, you notice those ones I just read to you, each of them, it starts with a word of description and then it adds that ism suffix on the end. Uh, Talking about the nature of kind of living those things out. Well, so let's take this word apart, evangelism. At its core, it's evangel. Evangel, what's evangel? Well, evangel is an English translation of a Greek word uh, in the New Testament, euangelion, and it means good news. It just means good news. It means that in terms of, when we use it uh, as a church, we're using it in terms of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, but that term was used in general just for, I got good news. Now, how many of you, you're like, um, okay, evangelism, maybe it feels strange to me, but good newsism, I'll subscribe to that. 
right? <laughs> I'll change the channel to that one. In fact, I'll, I'll pay a, a like $15 a month subscription for some good news as I'm, where do I sign up? Well, the apostle Paul subscribed to it too. He even said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, if I don't share, gospel is another translation of that word, good news. If I don't share the good news, you know, it'd be difficult to overstate how much this good newsism really affected Paul's life. It affected everything about him. And, and uh, the gospel he believed and shared utterly transformed the man. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 9 and following. And as he put it when he wrote a letter to the church in Rome, he said, The gospel, the good news, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, what's been done to you, the color of your skin, it doesn't matter. It's good news for you. And it's the power to save you. Now, sometimes too, I think uh, maybe we, I don't know, I say we, but I'm, you're, you're hearing from my heart a little bit too. Just kind of get that uneasy feeling about evangelism. Uh, maybe because of some of the other terms we associate with it too. Uh, I'll give you one, maybe you've heard, soul winning. You ever hear that? Uh, we're going to go do some soul winning. Now, is there anything necessarily wrong with that? No. Uh, but I don't know that it's the most helpful thing in terms of when we think about evangelism and sharing the good news with people. Um, you maybe have heard it, you know, I know I have, I've probably even said it, about winning souls for Christ. That if you go out to evangelize, you're going out to win souls. It makes it kind of transactional, doesn't it? And who does it make to be the winner? It makes me to be the winner because I won souls, right? But do you know that, that terminology, winning souls, only shows up uh, potentially a couple times in Scripture? Uh, in Proverbs, uh, the writer of Proverbs in chapter 11 says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life and whoever wins souls is wise, uh, but that end of that phrase, uh, in other translations, there's two, you might have a little asterisk by it. It can also mean the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but a cunning person takes lives, captures souls, literally. So I don't know. But then Paul, in the New Testament, uh, talks in 1 Corinthians 9, we'll talk about that in a second, but I don't know, the, the idea of, of winning souls, sometimes it, it might imply Again, like I said, that the person doing the sharing is the winner when they're not. It's like, uh, you know, in the Wild West, you get a notch on your belt for every victory and battle you win. And you just keep marking it up. Or like the fighter pilot who has all the, all the kills on the front of his plane kind of checked off. I don't know, maybe it's my personality, maybe uh, it's part of my generation, but it just, it feels cold to me. How about you? A little too transactional. And you might push back, rightly so, and say, yeah, but Paul, but Josh, Paul, when he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9, he's talking about winning souls for Christ. He says, I'll become all things to all men so that I might win some or save some, depending on how the text is translated in your version. He's winning them for Jesus, right? Yeah, for sure, there's, there's no doubt about that. But again, then it implies that the person... Uh, who turns to Jesus as the prize that's being won. And that has it kind of backwards too. So even the terms we use can kind of mess us up in how we think about things and go about it or, or even when we want to do it. 
At least it does for me. But who's the true winner in evangelism? Who's the true winner in good newsism? Let's go back and see what Jesus said. He said this. He said, uh, there was a man. Well, Paul, by the way, even when, when he wraps up his time, he says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Talks about it as a prize. But what, what Jesus had said in Matthew 13 is that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Who is the winner? The guy who got the pearl. The guy who got the pearl. The guy who met Jesus. The, the woman who turned to him in faith. That's the winner. Not me for winning them. Not them as the prize, but, but Jesus is the prize. And, and Paul, even uh, when he talks about, you know, I become all things to all men so that I might save some, he wraps that up with the verse I just read there that he says, I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. And then he goes right after, immediately after it, he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. He, he links it to winning a prize. I wonder, have you thought about evangelism that way? Ultimately, then, evangelism really is about helping people find Jesus. That's what it is. It's helping people find Jesus, find the pearl of great price. Referring to evangelism as winning souls or otherwise can just be a disservice to our understanding of it because it's not about me winning people or even Jesus winning people. It's about people winning Jesus and receiving him and getting his grace and goodness. And it changes the focus of it then. At least it changes it for me as I think about it as something that's my achievement to that person's gain. And it's something I want to do. I want to tell you about him because I want you to have that. I want you to know that. Not because I'm, I think less of you that you don't. It's because, man, you're missing out. I want you to have this. Evangelism is about helping people secure the biggest win they ever possibly could for eternity. Being sent to evangelize then requires me to love them and care about them, the people I'm going to. Right? What's, you remember our mission statement? Now, again, if you're, if you're new this morning, granted, I'm, I'm talking a lot to people who have trusted Jesus today. And, and you can listen in and, and you might find that, hey, I kind of need that pearl too and I'll help you with that later. But, but those of you who have trusted and were sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. We're, we're sent to love people and help them find the pearl. The biggest one they could possibly get. So as we do this, though, you think about it, there's a couple, uh, couple things on the front end we need to examine a little bit, don't we? First off, I'd ask this, and I'd ask it of myself too. Um, how's your heart? How's your heart when it comes to evangelism? We're going on this, this journey. The subtitle of the, the series is Adventure Awaits. Because if you think about it, if you're helping somebody to find the greatest treasure they could ever find, that is, that's an adventure of helping them, of loving them, of doing life with them. But, but how's your heart in it, you know? I want to tell you the story of the Apostle Paul, because we see 
a heart that, that we ought to strive for in the Apostle Paul's life. And uh, we also see it in Jesus' life. But I want to turn your attention specifically to Paul today. Um, Acts chapter 17, and over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, just looking uh, at, at Paul's heart and, and his method of, of sharing the good news. Let me catch you up to speed uh, before we read. In Acts chapter 17, Acts tells us uh, some of Paul's missionary journeys when he would go out, plant churches, tell people about Jesus. And uh, in Acts chapter 17, we're in the midst of the second of his third journey. And as he's going, uh, leading up to where we're going to be this morning, uh, you can read all this in Acts chapter 17. He goes to a city named Thessalonica. And when he's there, he starts telling the good news and preaching the gospel and loving on people. And uh, people who don't believe it aren't having it. And uh, they, they stir up other people and cause kind of a riot. And Paul gets driven out of town. But it was after many people, it says including some of the leading women in the city, believed. And so Paul moves on to another city, not far away, called Berea. And in Berea, we read that the people there were very receptive to Paul's teaching, very receptive to what God's word said, and that as they examined it, they, they're like, you know, I think he's right. I think this is actually true. And they begin believing. And, but those guys from Thessalonica who are causing all the problems, they decide that they hear about it, and so they follow Paul to Berea. And start some trouble there too. And so uh, they actually take Paul and, and get him out of town and they sail him down to a city called Athens. Have you heard of Athens? Uh, Paul leaves and he leaves his, his uh, companions, Silas and Timothy and others behind in Berea. But Paul gets out of town so he doesn't get hurt or killed. And he gets to Athens and you just need to know Athens is an incredible, incredible city. And it was especially in Paul's day. I mean, it was the center of culture in Paul's day. And in Athens, it was the center of culture in terms of architecture. It was the center of, of culture in terms of uh, uh, philosophy and uh, spirituality and, um, and so many things. Athens was at the center of it. In fact, Athens is even at the center of things in our culture. I mean, do you watch the Olympics this summer? I mean, uh, it's an incredible influence even on us today. Well, Paul gets there, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get to go, I went to college in Chicago, but when I get to go into the city, I'm excited to look at the buildings or just to be in that area, right, and to check everything out and check out what Paul did in uh, verse 16. Actually, I'll read to you from verse 15. It won't be on the screen, but in verse 15, we read that, those who had uh, helped Paul uh, had gotten him as far as Athens. And then they received a command from him for Silas and Timothy to come and join him as soon as they could. And then they sailed back to Berea. So Paul gets to Athens and he's waiting. He's just going to be waiting there for a while for Silas and Timothy to show up. Waiting for his friends. Might explore the city a little bit. But look at Paul's excited about or what grips him. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. His spirit, his heart was gripped by the fact that, you know, these people, they live in a beautiful place in the, the center of our culture 
They have so many good things, but, but they're worshiping idols. And when he would look at, at the big, incredibly awesome buildings, uh, his heart went immediately not to, wow, that's, that's incredible. It went to, these, these people are missing out. There's a better prize than this. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna actually look at how Paul goes about talking to them about that prize and about what they're missing out on. But shame on me that my heart would, would probably not be that way right away. How about yours? I'd go into the city and uh, I was talking with Tim earlier between services about like they have the architecture tour on the boat, you know, down through the city and you can check everything out in Chicago. Just wow. But what God's heart is, he wants me to see that and see people. See people. Because we live in a, we live in a culture that's at the center of so many things in the world where, where everything is, people searching and finding value and, and, and worth and fulfillment in things that aren't fulfilling. And they're missing out on the prize. Where if they could see it, Maybe they'd be like David Morris and sell everything so that they could have it. But you know, Paul says, um, unless somebody tells them, they'll never believe. But Paul's heart was gripped. So was Jesus' heart. It wasn't unlike Jesus. Jesus uh, was doing things similar to Paul. He was traveling and, uh, through towns and villages. He was teaching in synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds... Look at this, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You ever seen sheep without a shepherd? And sheep are dumb. They'll hurt themselves, they'll kill themselves. Jesus has compassion because these people need me. So first off, how's your heart? Evangelism is about helping people find Jesus. So first, where's your heart? Second, uh, how's your, I don't know how else to say it, how's your want to? How's your want to? Here's what I mean. When, when Paul and Jesus, when their spirits were moved with compassion for people, it, it, it worked itself out in action, in, in telling them about Jesus. Because they wanted to, they couldn't help but do it. So one, how's your heart? Second, how's your want to? It might break your heart to think about those things, but, but what about actually doing something about it? You know, uh, we read Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And how did his heart get that way? How did his heart become so tender? And Paul's too, how, was his, how did it become so tender for people? Does your stomach churn with the compassion that Jesus had? And how can it? Well, Jesus, I think, gives us a little clue. He says in verse 37, he says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus said the first step in bringing in a harvest is to pray, to pray for workers to go out. To, to not only that, but to pray for the, the people 
that need him. Notice the language, though. He says, pray earnestly for the Lord to do what? To send out, to send out laborers. Friends were sent. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. To do what? Sent like he was, to love people, to have compassion on them like he does. To tell them the good news, like we've received. That they could know it too and find, find Jesus, find the pearl. Your heart and your want to ultimately are affected by, uh, by your praying. You know, uh, Jesus spent so much time in prayer and evangelism is helping people find Jesus and it begins by praying. It does. Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is just talking to God. It's just talking to Jesus. I'd imagine there's probably people in your life that you care about, maybe in your family, and you talk with a friend or with another family member about them, don't you? And how can we help them? What, they need this. They, do you talk to Jesus like that about your friends and the people you love? He longs for you too. And, and if you want your heart, when I said, how's your heart? You want your heart to be like Jesus or like Paul? You want your want to to be like theirs too? Start, start praying. Pray to Jesus about those people. Talk to him about them. Talk to him about your own heart. And what happens is as you pray, things start to happen. Do you know that? Prayer actually changes things. It really does as we talk to, talk to the Lord. Now, um, what exactly does it do? Because Jesus even began with prayer. Uh, you know, prayer changes, we think sometimes we'll, we'll hear it said, prayer changes God's heart. We'll hear it causes him to act. I, I would say, uh, I don't think prayer changes God's will, um, but it certainly does cause him to act and change circumstances. So the first thing to know is prayer absolutely changes circumstances. And God delights in changing our circumstances in response to our prayers of faith. Jesus even told us, he said, always pray, don't lose heart, keep praying. And it reminds us that when we pray according to God's will, Jesus reminds us that he hears and he answers. But the key phrase there is according to his will. But what happens is the more I pray and the more I spend time with the Lord, and, and make it just a constant conversation, like a friendship, because it is. Let, let me ask you this before I complete my thought. Did your parents ever tell you, I don't want you hanging out with them? Why did they say that? Because if you hang out with them, what's going to happen? You're going to become like them. Well, if you want to pray according to God's will, guess what you need to do? You need to start hanging out with them. Reading his word spending time in prayer. And the more you hang out with Jesus, guess what? The more you'll become like him. And so as I pray and as I talk to him about these things, he, he, he changes circumstances and, he does, and, and my prayers even change to become more and more according to his will. Paul told Timothy, while Timothy was uh, starting a church in Ephesus or taking over a church as a young pastor, he said, uh, first off, I urge that, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, Timothy, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Be praying for people. Pray for them. He said, I urge, first of all, pray. 
You know, uh, you might think of it this way in terms of how uh, prayer changes circumstances. There's a father and he has a daughter and he's decided way ahead of time he's gonna give her a car when she turns 16. He's going to. That's what he's gonna do. That's his will. And he knows uh, in part that by that time she'll have a job. She'll be active in church, hopefully. She'll uh, be active with her school activities and the big, the big deal with all this though is she'll be able to pay her own insurance when she gets that car. But he also plans to wait and give her that car until she asks for it. Because he wants her to value it as just an incredible gift that he gives her. So as she begins growing up, even, even at age 11, she starts thinking, you know, Dad, I'd like a car. You could get me one now and you could drive it and then it could be mine when I can drive. And, you know, the answer obviously is no. And then at 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, same things. But by the time she gets to about 15, she kind of mellows out a little bit and realizes, okay, I'm going to quit asking for this right now, or at least in the way I have. And she turns 16, and after she's maybe a little ways after her 16th birthday, her, her disposition, her heart begins to change a little bit. And so she approaches her dad in a different way and just says, Dad, um, what do you think? Could I have a car? I could pay the insurance. Um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Would you give that to me? Well, after a little while, um, she expresses, by the way, just her confidence that her dad can meet her need. And it wasn't very long afterwards that her dad joyfully handed over the keys and said, here you go. Now, did her dad ever change his mind? No, he had determined a long time ago, I'm going to buy her a car when she turns 16. But he had to wait for the circumstances to change, didn't he? And the more she talked to him, the more uh, he probably responded to her, and she began to realize, oh, I'm not ready for a car yet, or this or that, and her heart changes. And then when she was ready, here you go. You know, I I think uh, our conversation with, with our good dad is very similar. That as we talk to him and pray, as circumstances change, he begins to answer over time. But notice, you've heard me say this a couple times already, maybe more even than our circumstances. Do you know what prayer changes? It changes us. It absolutely changes us. Because our heart begins to be more in line with God's own heart and with his will. Again, you become like the people you hang out with. The more you pray, the more you spend time with the Lord, the more you're going to become like Jesus. So if you decide to to join us on this adventure and live this out, this isn't like a one-week, five-week fix. This is a a lifestyle, really, to live out, a pearl lifestyle. It begins with praying. Praying. See, pearl is actually an acronym. I haven't shared that with you yet, but maybe you gathered it from looking on your sheet. Uh, one is to, to pray, because Jesus tells us to pray. Pray for your friends, pray for those you love and know, your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever it is that you know needs to find the pearl, needs Jesus in their life. Pray for them. Pray often for them. Pray for them for their good today. 
Then uh, you'll see these over the next few weeks because this is the strategy that Jesus uses that we'll see Paul use in, in Acts chapter 17. Eat with them. Why eat? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but God designed food and I like it, as you can probably tell. And something about sharing a meal with somebody disarms them and you can just get to know one another over food. Isn't that true? So maybe if you don't have a meal, just spend time with them. That's really the big idea. Spend relational time with them. Eat with them. You'll see that next week. Ask them questions. See, here's the deal. Evangelism isn't a, a transactional endeavor. The person you're thinking of who needs Jesus isn't your project. Jesus is calling you to be their friend. So ask them questions. Get to know them. Learn about their life. And actually care. That's how Jesus went about evangelism. Now there's times he just proclaimed what was true, for sure. But if you look at the the pattern of his life, it was relational. And then, as you have opportunity, reveal your story. And you can say, yeah, you know, I had a situation like that. And let me tell you, friend, I've got this pearl that you've got to see. (laughs) You've got to check this out. And let me tell you how it's just totally changed my life. And you reveal your story. And then in the process, uh, love, L is for love. Love them tangibly. Again, as a friend. Not as somebody to win over, but somebody that you're sent to love. And this acronym, it demonstrates the way Jesus went about evangelism. And we're going to look at that and how Paul does in Acts 17. And uh, just by way of reminder, as you leave today, uh, this little thing I was holding up, this little package, has in it... um, just a little card that says pearl on one side and it has pray, eat, ask, reveal, love on the other side. And then, ooh, I just about dropped it. There's a pearl in there. And I would encourage you, maybe you stick this in your pocket. There's a hole in them, I think. You can stick it on your keychain and and carry it with you. And when you happen to put your hand in your pocket or you grab your keys, hey, you know what? That's a reminder for me to be praying for that person I care about to pray for God to open doors for friendship, for relationship, whatever that looks like, that I might be able to invite them to find the real pearl. And so as you pray for them, pray for their problems, physical, spiritual, and pray for the solution. Pray for their good. Not just their salvation, pray for their good today. And who knows how God might use that then in in you being able to introduce them to Jesus. Now, as we wrap up, uh, you can get those on your way out. If you're at home and you want one of these, again, email us, we'll send you one or however many you'd like. Um, but let me just uh, say one last thing before we wrap and sing this morning. If, if you've never trusted Jesus, you've never found the pearl, let, let me tell you, it's so simple. God loves you more than you ever dreamt. And he sent his son to to live a perfect life in your place, to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, which I deserve to pay it. But Jesus, who was without sin, lived that life and he took the, the penalty for sin, took the punch of God's wrath on the cross in my place. And then he gave me his life. And, and becoming a Christian is just putting your faith in Jesus and, and finding that, you know what, that is the greatest gift and it's worthy of giving up everything for because it's eternal. 
And you can become a Christian in, a, in an instant, not by coming to church, not by being here, but by simply praying and, and going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me and forgive me. I recognize you are the pearl. You're the greatest prize I could ever win. And you love me, which is incredible. Would you forgive me, heal me, save me? And Jesus says, if you would do that, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. Let me pray.